Welcome to episode four of Expanding Beyond. Um, this time we are a bit behind schedule, even though we never really uh, agreed on a formal schedule. <laughs> but well, you wrote yeah. fortnightly, I think. Yeah, sort but, of. I mean, know, it is. It's an estimate. It's an estimate. Sometimes they're <laughs> off. <laughs> well, most of the time they're off, but. Yeah, that's a different discussion. Maybe not one for today. <laughs> yeah, maybe because it's a long one. So. <laughs> it is, yeah. All right. Hello, so how, everyone. Yeah. So how are you doing, Monica? I'm doing good. I'm actually on holiday. Oh, that's nice. Yes. And happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that's the reason for the holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some time ago, there was this one uh, lady that told me she would always take uh, at least her birthday off because she's like that's my birthday I need to celebrate myself and since then that thing stick to me uh, so mm-hmm. I'm actually doing that every year at least the day of my birthday I'm off yeah I try to do that as well mine's in August so it's a good time for for being born I'd say so. <laughs> yeah although here in Germany or at least here in Bavaria that's where where there's the summer holiday so you can't even have a real party because all your friends are on holiday um okay yeah that that kind of makes sense everybody's off uh i was kind of lucky because my hometown is on the seaside therefore Mm, most of the people you know being on holiday is just staying home and going to the beach so i had all my friends around all the time (laughs) (laughs) that's true yeah and all the germans coming i guess yes yes <laughs> since i was a kid <laughs> yeah there there was then i found out about the schedule after years because i couldn't really none of us could really fathom why people would come on holidays in may i was like the, the season hasn't even started why are you here in may it doesn't make any sense it's cold right <laughs> <laughs> well if you're from i don't know hamburg then that's yeah. already nice and warm yes now I go home, it's 20 degrees and people think I'm insane because I'm going out uh, outside without a jacket. Like, yeah. it's, it's hot. <laughs> it's summer. <laughs> Doesn't take long, that's true. Yeah. No. Uh, now I got really used to that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm doing staycation. Um, uh, I spent some time with myself uh, end of the end of last week. It was actually mm-hmm. quite nice because I just was roaming around the city, doing shopping and having nothing to do. It was beautiful. Mm, that's nice sometimes. Yeah. I didn't have to pack. I didn't have to take any trains. I didn't have to worry about, you know, grocery shopping and going here and going there. It was just, I'm, I'm off. <laughs> mm, that's what nice. about you? Yeah. So I have kids, so that generally doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> But on the other hand, we went for a swim in the lake today, mm. sort of. Which lake? Uh, Vesling. So it's a really yeah, tiny lake. Yeah. But my my parents have a house almost uh, at the beach. That so sounds that's nice. lovely. So what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? Um, so in my quest to learn about things I'm subscribed to, I don't know how many newsletter. And I came across one of the, um, the one of those have a long list of uh, links, articles, uh, videos, and whatnot. And um, there was this one 
video. It's a talk from from a conference, um, one of those virtual ones that happened lately, that was about uh, the difference between, or there's a perceived difference between what we call software engineering and what people think about real engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one guy, um, I. I swear to God, I'm really sorry. I was trying to find out the to find the video again. I cannot find it for the love <laughs> of me. I'll keep searching because I need to give him credit. Uh, uh, so there's one guy. He was uh, he was his approach was quite interesting because it was like okay, when I talk with people in software engineering, they say that it's not real engineering. When I talk with uh, other kind of engineers, they say the same for different reasons. And I was like, there should be someone that has been doing both. Mm -hmm. So he looked and found a few people. I think he interviewed like 20 to 30 people that in their previous life, there were uh, other kind of engineers and then moved into software engineering or vice versa. It was generally curious because the outcome of those interviews was a constant um, that was it's not actually that different people perceive real engineering uh, uh, specialties as uh, very structured uh, all mm, you know, this waterfall approach, you have to really drill into details. And when you do it, it's permanent and the requirements are perfect and this and that. While software engineering is usually perceived as something ephemeral, uh, not really structured, not really um, concrete in a way. Um, So (laughs) what he found out is that it was genuinely funny because he was like, what I found out is that you shouldn't cross a bridge ever. ever. Don't don't do that. That's super dangerous. <laughs> you don't want to know. People are all like, you know, you build a bridge. It's not like you're going to move a bridge, right? So how is that comparable to writing code that then you move around and you refactor and you change this and you change that? And it was like, you can't move bridges. It actually happened quite a lot over history. And they started actually measuring how to build proper bridges at the beginning of the 20th century. So it's not like they started much before than uh, much before us software mm-hmm. engineers in having any kind of structure, actually. <laughs> People are like, like, let's build a bridge and see if it holds. <laughs> so, <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was already quite insightful i have to say and um another thing that struck me about that uh, about that talk was people don't adapt doing i don't know civil engineer things like you build everything and it's perfect and that's it it's like you don't play around with pieces that don't fit together and there was this example of uh an um an oil drilling platform in the middle of the of the sea that had uh, they had to put a piece of equipment in one of the floors that wasn't the top floor. And this piece of equipment was actually bigger than the floor, like it was taller than the floor. So mm-hmm. how can we do that? It's not like we can remove the top floors because the, the, it's not like we only have the roof. 
So what they actually did was creating a notch, a dent into the ceiling and put the piece of equipment in there. So now the floor where the equipment is has a notch in the in the ceiling and mm-hmm. the floor above has a as a notch in the floor. It's like <laughs> nothing that is also perfect. sounds very very familiar. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it was um it was interesting to see uh how much uh engineering disciplines actually very much uh, are similar to uh, to some degree in the practices and in the in the philosophy in the end you have to come up with the result and have to deal with what reality is about there are trade-offs everywhere yeah i think maybe one of the things why people see a difference is because you then pr- produce something uh, physical oftentimes right yes um but the 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 interesting bit is how you end up with with how you're going to build it right so if you i don't know where to build some kind of machine or a car then the interesting part is not building the thousand cars but how do you design it and how would you put it together right and this is where i think the fundamental point is there is programming and that's writing code literally but doing software engineering is different what you're trying to do is not just writing code what you're trying to do you're solving a problem and writing code is part of what you're going to do to try to come with an outcome to have something out there but it's not just that you're hacking something like there is thought there is creativity there is science behind it even if it doesn't look that we are doing anything very sciencey, but in the end, what we're tr- trying to do is design a solution that solves a problem for with certain constraints and so on and so forth. The other interesting part of that of the talk was that there are actually things that the other disciplines in engineering are really jealous about uh, uh, from uh, from software engineering. Mm-hmm. One of those is um, one of the two is uh, source control, mm-hmm. because other disciplines have nothing like it. He was saying something that I realized, and it's really scary. Some of these disciplines have only one hard copy of something, and if it's gone, it's gone. It's not there anymore. All your work is gone, and you cannot reproduce it. <laughs> yeah, that's not something. Yeah, that's it's so fundamental these days. Yeah, like you cannot go back and figure out where the mistake was made. Imagine like that's how, for example, if you think about, uh, I don't know, the um, NTSB when goes and investigates the fault in a, in a plane that crashed, like what, where is the problem? Is it a mechanical problem? There is no way for them to analyze anything but the wreckage to try to figure out what went wrong. Mm. Us, we can do git bisect, and there you find it, because the test is failing there. And the other great thing that other disciplines are uh, jealous uh, for uh, from us is um, the culture about sharing knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
he was he was giving this example like in any other discipline in engineering you don't have people sharing out of their own time because they just want to do that whatever they learned and it's not necessarily sponsored it's not someone is trying to sell you something this is generally what i learned and i'm sharing it with you and people get together and share their experiences and it's much more a safe space because it's vulnerable everybody sharing what they just learned in a way uh, and compared to other engineering they don't have anything like that okay interesting so the community part uh, another example he was giving was uh, stack overflow for example it's like there are stack overflows for other disciplines but it's not to the same degree and extent that you have for um, development for for uh, software engineering interesting yeah I mean that that point I didn't really expect yeah it also caught, caught me off guard I think the nicest thing because yes of course uh, source console control it is I would say that that's fundamental in our job I started working and we had nothing like that um, mm, we true. we started using SVN, but for example, our uh, a, a company we were collaborating with, they were doing the graphical part of the websites we were uh, we were building. None of them used source control, so we would upload files on FTPs, and if it's gone, it's gone again. Like someone can delete something or or override something, and it was insanely dangerous because we're talking about websites that do millions of page views. Mm. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago I'm not I mean I'm old but I'm not that old that is true yeah I remember where CVS was the state of the art source yeah. control tool <laughs> uh, I started with SVN and boy I hated that thing so many conflicts I mean probably in hindsight I really didn't know how to use it <laughs> uh, but definitely was uh, less intuitive than Git yeah, and that's saying something, right? <laughs> yes. Git isn't really intuitive. It it's not, it's not. But it's not. Again, if you if you learn a few basic things, most of what you do, you cannot do too many bad things. It also depends true, yeah. a lot of like the process you have in place when when developing. Like in our case, we have we merge so frequently that your branch is usually only worked on by you and it lives so little it's so ephemeral it's like one day three days if it's a very big pr maybe it's five days that lasts out there but it's very difficult to have that kind of conflicts that requires you to go through a painful merge and resolving conflict by hands and so on yeah yeah, that that's sort of the brilliant thing in the design of Git that branches are so cheap and mm. easy to have. Yeah, I mean, I remember a very painful merge, but that was in my previous job. We had one of our um, main repos, and we were white labeling it, and this branch was alive for months, mm. and in the meantime, we were developing the main the main master. Mm -hmm. So when we went back and tried to merge the two things together, we had 
for how long? I think it was a month and two people dedicated to go commit by commit and checking that everything was right uh, and merging bunch of commits every day. It was, um, I wasn't one of those and I, uh, one of them, and I was very lucky, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, that sounds very painful. I try to, I try really, really try to avoid this and I prefer to work a bit harder on having, I don't know, feature flags or s stuff like that mm. so that you can always just have branches that are really, really short lived and then everything is back together. So yeah, it was an interesting week. Uh, well, couple of weeks. What about you? Yeah, on my side, I had this not super nice experience. So uh, of having to dig through a, a small app of ours where the developer that had developed it uh, left. I think he left at the beginning of the year at some point and we it is not an app where we do changes often, but it is still pretty important. So messing it up and changing stuff and meanwhile breaking production is just not an option. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, so luckily it wasn't a big app and he had a pretty good style and there weren't too many hacks in there. Hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, there were basically no tests and it was all in JavaScript. So sometimes you just have to try it out in the browser to see I'm terrified now. if it still works. <laughs> and the dependencies were pretty out of date. And yeah, so eventually I managed to understand what this app does and do the changes, but it just took much longer than it should have. And it reminded me once again how important it is that more than one person needs to work on on an app and you need to have multiple people understand this and i understand where this is coming from because this was developed at the time where there were probably two developers at the company and he was the one who did all the front end stuff and someone else and the cto did all the back end stuff and then it continued like that and back end developers joined the team but no front end devs but now we are working really hard on making sure that everyone touches every app at least I don't know at some point every few weeks every few months stuff like that yeah it's uh, even if you're not an expert at least you know a little bit of the domain and you know what makes sense or not um, to like to be done you know at least the references uh, in the in the space in the virtual space of the code yeah and of course i mean we, we were so small that we just had to be really careful mm. with how we spend our time uh, because of course when someone else looks at this it just takes longer but eventually you just have to accept that other people need to spend the time on this and and learn this so that i don't know you a developer leaves or they are on holiday or they get sick and then suddenly something happens. Same famous boss factor. Exactly, yeah. Do you think that having documentation would have helped? Any kind of documentation, tests, for example? I mean, tests, yes. Tests would be nice to, to know, <laughs> have I broken something? Mm. Or at least for part of it, it would have been nice to, 
to have some kind of security net. I mean, before he left, I did. He did a. a we spent an hour and we go, did a walk through the code and he explained stuff. But I mean, it was in the be beginning of the year and I didn't really then touch the code a lot. So yeah. and it's different from really knowing the code. Yeah, I, I think there's just no replacement for actually trying to implement something. Absolutely. But yeah, that's that's why uh, I agree with you. Rotating over over the code base, unless you have very big code base and then you need to have teams that work on specific areas but then at least there should be some redundancy on who has worked on on what even yeah. in that team there is this balance between how big the team should be to be manageable because ideally like if you think about in my case if you think about a cross-functional team very often if you slice the work small enough one developer per technology, you know, in our case, one iOS, one Android, and uh, one backend are enough to really have something out there. But then you create this mini silos in which then they are the only ones that know what's going on in, in that area. And then it becomes really, really dangerous. Uh, because as you said, if someone leaves, then that person is gone and there's no one else that knows how to tackle things. And if you have time to go through that, yes, it's a, it's a pain, but you can still do it. But imagine there is a problem on production and you have to fix that thing. <laughs> and that's why also the, the idea of having very skilled people that uh, you can use sort of like a Pokemon, you know, like I just... <laughs> throw this person at the problem, they're going to solve it. Organization love these people because especially people like from, from departments that are not technical, like, oh, this, this person is super fast. They solve everything. They do everything I need and they do it quickly and efficiently. But the cost of that very often is that then when that person is not there anymore, nobody else can really get hold of what's happening without paying all the costs that you didn't pay up front. Yeah. I mean, there are circumstances where this is useful. So for example, I spent a few weeks building a new, I don't know if it's a microservice, but a smaller service. Mm -hmm. And I think in the beginning, when you build a new app, then it's useful to have one person who thinks about the design, how, how, how to, to build that thing. And you end up with a version that is already some at least partially working mm -hmm. and then you have something to build on top and then you yes. start writing the stories and then you sort of take a step back and you are basically the one that the others that then have to implement the stories go to and you explain to them and then they build that knowledge over time yeah, so then exactly. the application becomes theirs too yeah and i find it that sometimes it is hard to take this step back and not be that baby. person that says oh that but that's mine and i want to i want to work on it yeah i i had this uh i always make this joke so uh, when when i started working at my current company i was uh we were in the process from uh, of moving from a monolith to a service architecture and uh, i ended up working on the payment system the mm -hmm. payment service let's be honest it's not my favorite thing 
<laughs> like it's about money it's about it's there is a lot of pressure around money especially in companies that work for money you know therefore it's not a super nice position plus payment providers are insane people don't touch anything from the payment providers ever <laughs> well, they're not the only ones but i can imagine yeah each and every one of them does something in a slightly different way so it was I, to this day, I still believe that it's one of the services that we have that look the best design-wise because it was very well thought through at the beginning. But still, like to hide all that complexity, there was quite some work on top uh, to make the pieces interchangeable, to add and remove uh, payment providers and to have them behave as similar as possible. Yeah. I mean, once you start interfacing with external services, yeah. it's there's weird stuff going on. For mm. example, there was this one service we used at some point for financial information about companies, right? And when you tried to access uh, financial information for a company from in Italy, you had to do it before 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somehow af later it didn't, didn't return anything. It just errored and you had to wait until it's the beautiful. next morning. <laughs> Like we had, we have, I don't know if it's still happening, but uh, equivalent of uh, Deutsche Post in, in Italy, they have bank accounts. Like mm -hmm. They act as a bank. Yeah, and like in Germany, yeah. They wouldn't work after closing time. So you have a credit card, but it doesn't work because <laughs> the system is not running for whatever reason. <laughs> and it's just beautiful. Um, but yeah, so what I was saying is that I am not particularly fond of payment systems or payment providers. And... Even now, it's like, eh, but it's my baby. I helped building it. I ended up finishing it uh, once the main developer left. So it's ugly, but it's my baby. So I totally feel you on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it's in good hands now. Uh, I really trust the person that uh, took it over. But yeah, still at the moment, if I hear someone say, yeah, but the, you know, the payment service, like, uh, 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 that's it. <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> you cannot say anything bad about it. <laughs> so you think that really documentation wouldn't have uh, helped? A certain level of documentation, yes. But to really, really understand the system and to do to make the changes that I needed to make, mm. it, I just needed more. I really needed to understand okay. all the weird details and why are we using multiple iframes that communicate with each other there's reasons for that and it needs to continue to work and stuff like yeah. that so that is also something that talking about uh, hey.com that is fascinating they have to my understanding no javascript whatsoever and mm -hmm. that's amazing it, it's a very bold move these days it certainly is yeah but yeah dhh, uh, DHH and jason free they like to be controversial <laughs> That is sort of their thing. That's true, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of hey, what did you find in the gem file? Now you have to explain. Yeah, so I, uh, DHH sent out this tweet um, showing the, uh, tweeting about the gem file for uh, hey.com that, guess what, is a Rails app. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, looking at those, uh, at that file, it's, beautiful because it's so well organized and everything makes sense together and there's also like i wouldn't have expected more gems in there but it's actually not 
not too bad in that sense. Uh, and looking at everything, I found this one that this one gem that is called uh, Pound Pound. There is this one website get, that is called uh, Have I Been Pound? And if you go there, you can uh, add your email address and you get notifications when uh, they are alerted about um, security breaches, uh, breaches in, uh, in services online. So I was like, mm, this sounds familiar. And I uh, took a look at the gem and that's exactly what it does. And I think it's beautiful. Like this gem checks against the API of uh, the, that website if there is a record of your email address when you try to register into uh, their database. And if there is, you can present your users with, uh, are you sure you want to use this address? Because it has been compromised here and there. It's just such a nice gesture towards your user. It's really mm -hmm. something that doesn't cost you anything or doesn't cost you much as a service but you're actually doing a service to the user, letting them know that there's something wrong with their email address, even if it's not about your business. Because we are also facing this, this issue right now, like we are starting to become interesting, right? Because we have so many million registered users, so many uh, thousands uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, hundreds of thousands uh, key users and so on. So we're starting to get interesting for, uh, for um, I wouldn't call them malicious agents, but you know, curious people, let's put it this way. <laughs> um, so every now and then we have attacks like that, uh, people just running dictionaries, trying to, it's not really, I don't think that the point is getting into our system. I think the point is to validate that those pairs of email address and password are still valid and still in use um, so that then they can be reused somewhere else to uh, to get into uh, more useful accounts because yeah. for example we don't store anything about user payments uh, so that really it's safe for users to use our service and yeah so i was wondering how do you deal with these kind of attacks what is the industry doing like just bear with them uh doing you know the usual kind of like throttling on the server uh or um i don't know like recognizing the fact that it, what if you get attacked by a, a, a botnet then the ep address for example is completely different mm. how can you catch that it looks like a perfect legit traffic uh, you do recapture but that is also annoying because then users every time have to log in with with that other things you can do is two-factor authentication yeah but that's also yeah it's... maybe maybe people are getting more used to that because at least here in germany or is it european-wide sort of at least for bank accounts yeah you essentially need to use two-factor authentication so maybe this is getting more accepted and you can start using that in a few years everywhere i mean luckily we are basically a business to business company so we mm. don't really have many accounts <laughs> yeah. so but 
Yeah, I mean, f for something like 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 passwords, you have those settings in Bcrypt and Device that basically make it really expensive to check a password, yes. right? To make it slow or basically too slow to make it useful. But other than that, I must admit, I've never worked at a company big enough for, for, for stuff like that to happen. In a way, it's a good sign because it shows that uh, you are being successful. Yeah. But it, in a way, it's also... It's also challenging because Rails as a framework takes care of so many things security-wise for you mm -hmm. that very often as an engineer, as, an, as a developer, you don't even think about those issues. And then you're like, okay, what should I do now? Like think about cross-site scripting or, or things like that. Maybe with another language, you would need someone that, uh, okay, there, will, there are probably libraries, I guess, that takes care of that part but still you have to know that that's a problem you have to know that even sql injection or uh, all the things and rails does them for you out of the box uh, and it's very very convenient but uh, then you are faced with things that rails cannot help you also with for example these kind of attacks because that's just based on speed and then mm -hmm. what do you do yeah. or validation of emails have you tried validating an email address? Kind of difficult, or <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's so many gems out there that, in theory, should help you. But then, if you try to change and optimize over time, for example, email addresses, and you have so many users that registered in the past, then you have to take into account that some of those email addresses are going to be invalid now. And how do you handle this duality? And maybe it changes over time. So it's two, three, four times, 10 times over the life of your application. Yeah. I mean, especially email addresses are really difficult. That's true. But yeah, I mean, now that I think of it, it turns out on my side project, I have had to deal with stuff like that, interestingly mm. enough. So I, I, I have this, this side project where I, people can register and sort of keep track of their fountain pen, uh, collection uh -huh. and at some point I real uh, I so I have this this tiny admin interface for myself and there I have account of users or of accounts and then at some point I realized wow this is going up so fast mm. and then I saw yeah but none of those accounts have basically validated their email address by clicking on the link in the email I sent them and then I realized that there must be some kind of uh, automated bot registering accounts. <laughs> That's fascinating. Why, they, why would they register? Well, I don't know. It, it depends. Uh, we we had a similar attack not long ago. The intent is spam, spamming links uh, to other websites. Okay, so we wrap it up. Yes. Let's wrap it up. You can find me on the internet um, at urbanhafner.com where I pretend to blog, but don't really <laughs> do this. And you can find me on Twitter at, at UJH. How about you, Monica? Myself, I blog, but only in my head for now. Uh, so uh, <laughs> once it's out there, I'll let you know. <laughs> like, oh, I should write about this, but I never do. Um, sometimes I tweet about it. Uh, and there you can find me at uh, KF Molly with an I uh, on Twitter. 
and you can find me uh, sometimes writing small posts on uh, dev.to slash uh, because, you know, something technical sounded interesting. So I thought, let me share my uh, lack of knowledge there. <laughs> like, oh, I found out about this. It's so cool. <laughs> it's like, duh. But yeah, so those are the two main places. And uh, if you have any feedback, you can write to us at hosts at expandingbeyond.it. And that's it. Bye-bye. Until next time. Bye.